Good evening, uh, Riverbend Community Church. So great to see you out tonight, and there are probably many people watching online. Uh, it's an exciting night. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting subjects. Uh, we're, the whole service is going to be a panel discussion, and uh, we welcome you to uh, just listen into our conversation. We're going to have a lot of questions and work through a lot of different things. So let me just introduce our panelists. First of all, we have uh, Pastor Scott Menez. He's our teaching pastor. And Pastor Jason Carr, he's the uh, headmaster of Riverbend Academy, which is our K-4 through four, uh, school, as well as one of our elders in the church. Paul Grinnell is one of our elders as well. He's also uh, a physician assistant at Advent Hospital here in Ormond Beach. And then, of course, Hayward Evans is our beloved worship leader here at uh, River Bend as well. I am Brian Sheely. I'm the executive pastor. I'm also the dean of Christ Theological Seminary. And uh, we're excited about uh, just being together with you and with one another and having this discussion. Uh, 2020 has been kind of a tumultuous year, hasn't it? Is that an understatement? Yes. A lot of people have said, uh, I, want it, I want to be able to have 2020 hindsight, put this year behind me, right? Um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, worldview impacting issues, things that have really stretched Christians to uh, make decisions based upon what knowledge and wisdom they have. And uh, just even with uh, you being here tonight, you made a decision based upon the uh, circumstances, based upon the knowledge, convictions you have. Uh, it's, it's a lot to think through. There's a lot of big issues. But, but not only that, not only the COVID-19, but, but this year, look, guys, do you remember that we had an impeachment trial in the Senate back in January of this yeah. year? Yeah, that's all forgotten. Is there, what, what are some of the things that have happened since then? I had a grandchild. <laughs> uh, I had two. He had two. He had two. <laughs> yeah. I had zero. <laughs> Hey, we're gonna I found have out we're having a boy. Yeah. So. <laughs> we're thinking positive already. Yeah. Right? yeah. We're That's positive. Great. Guys. That's great. Great. Yeah. What were some of the big events uh, culturally that uh, have happened? Well, of course, coronavirus. Coronavirus, right? Remember the Australian wildfires that everyone thought was so terrible? Australian wildfires. Wow. Oh, yeah. There was some kind of rumors about some killer bees. Killer bees. Yeah. Japanese. They didn't even get to come. They didn't have a chance. Murder they, hornets. Murder, murder hornets. hornets. That's yeah. right. They're taking their turn. They'll be back. Yeah. Of course, we had the, uh, the killing of George Floyd, yes. which has kind of uh, brought a lot of other issues to the forefront. Uh, the issue of uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, there's been rioting, looting, protests, defacing of monuments, debates over uh, name changes of uh, military bases, and, and that sort of thing. And have we had any Supreme Court decisions that have been important? <laughs> yeah, a couple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, some of them that have to do with LGBTQ rights, uh, abortion, uh, religious freedom. Many of them affect religious freedom. So we've had quite a year already, and that's probably just even scratching the surface. But tonight, first of all, we want to deal with the coronavirus. That's kind of the big thing, isn't it? Um, it's affecting everybody in the world, in fact. 
so I want to ask a question just kind of get us started with uh, COVID-19. You know, different pastors, different leaders of churches have made a lot of different decisions regarding their ministries. Some because of the states they're in, like Pastor Scott was talking about California, and some of them are just now starting to be able to even meet at all. And a lot of states where you've had the freedom to meet, they've still chosen not to meet. And then, of course, some are on the other extreme, perhaps. You know, we're trying to be wise in what we're doing. We're meeting. But, Pastor Scott, with our meeting and our going ahead with ministries like Vacation Bible School and um, Youth Camp and things like that, are we doing that because we don't love people? Uh-huh. Ooh, um, I want to keep my comments to a minimal just because there's a lot to say here, but um, I would say it's just the opposite, Brian. I say it's because we love people. Uh, we have a mandate from the scriptures, and I think there's a, I think there's a lot of reasons why there's, there's pushbacks, and I, I, I was thinking this today and thinking through this. I think once, once you know what causes people to be afraid, then you have a control of them. Did mm. you hear that? Once you know what causes people to be afraid of fear, to have fear, now you have control of them. And we, as the people of God, are just the opposite of that. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 says that, all our lives we were controlled by fear, the one who works in fear, Satan. But by God's grace, he saved us and released us from that. So, one, I think there's a tremendous amount of fear that happens. And then fear makes you think all kinds of crazy things. That pastors and elders who pray and study their Bibles and exposit the scriptures all of a sudden don't love you. Fear will make you go to the extreme of those things. And I think it's very, very dangerous to think that way. Um, I also think it's a result. And this is where, this is where I think the years, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very careful here because I'm not trying to pat us on the back. But if you look at the church in the United States, for years, decades upon decades now, we have not taught expositionally. We've told people that God needs them. We, we've made church about people and not God. We have not taught his holiness. We have not taught on sinfulness of man. And so now we hit this test that I think God sent. I think he's weeding the church a little bit, let alone the country, showing, showing, exposing our country. Um, and I think for years now, and so now something comes along and we're so afraid when God has taken that fear away from us, now it doesn't mean that we're, we need to be um, not cautious. We're, we're cautious. I think you said the CDC or somebody says to be a meter. Oh, World Health. World Health. Yeah, we're trying to do the meter here. Um, we're, we're doing our best. We're cleaning the building. We're, we're setting you as far apart as possible. We're, we're trying to do that. But you want to talk about fear. I fear God more than I fear man. And you do not want pastors who fear man more than God. Amen. Uh, and, I, and I would encourage people, maybe who are listening to this, uh, don't go to our church or go somewhere else. If their pastors don't fear God and, and fear what he says about 
about his holiness and the sinfulness of man. And, and I, I think you need to get to a church that teaches those things because it, it just creates all kinds of crazy things. And I, I think, I'm, of course, I'm biased here. I work with t- nine other men who are elders here. And I have watched these men love this church in extraordinary ways. Love the children. I'll, I'll, I'll quit because you're going to hear a Sunday. I'm working on a new sermon for Sunday because I'm, I'm wound up. Um, uh, but I think the greatest things we can do is have vacation Bible school. What, what else? Who's going to offer those children eternity mm. through the gospel of Jesus Christ? What, what are some of the other guys way in here? What are some, uh, some things you've seen that have happened positively as a result of us having the services open and continuing some ministries? I think you've seen hope. I think you've seen people who are, are, I mean, you know, when we first came back after being gone for so long, so many people were like, I haven't seen you in so long. And they wanted to hug or they wanted to do something and, and they couldn't at the time. And they, they long for that and they've been missing that. And, and that's, when you compare that to what's in the world of despair, I mean, 35,000 people they think have died right now due to lockdowns. And we've been open and we've seen hope here. And so we, I so, think we've seen the hope. So that, we've, we've offered the hope that people need right. in this The community that thing. God always, it is not good for man to be alone. The community, <laughs> okay. Jason, is there a caveat on the Great Commission that says, make disciples except when there's a pandemic? No. <laughs> <laughs> what anytime, have you seen? Anytime and all times. Um, yeah. There, loving one another does include protecting the vulnerable, um, ministering to the sick, which, which historically, of course, the sick get quarantined as far as how you handle that situation. But also, Christians would go and minister to those quarantined at, at risk. You know, not to be unwise, I don't, I don't think we should ever be unwise, but there are, there are other things we love people about other than health. And the soul is more important than the body. Um, both are important. We, we love people as whole human beings. We're, we're soul body created by God in his image. but. Um, there, there are eternal things to deal with, and if we're completely isolated from one another, we can't, we can't share the, the gospel. We can't disciple as effectively. Um, you know, when this first started, we didn't know the, the data at that time, it, and it's changed, but the unknown, all of that, we, we, we thought it wise. Let's shut down for a while, and let's do this distance, and did the best we could, and, and each church is making those decisions, but I think we're right having opened back up and still being careful. We're spread out. We're, you're preaching twice now on Sunday mornings to allow that spread out and everyone in here. And, um, but So people can practice social distancing here mm-hmm. as they come to worship, and we really do clean. There's uh, our disinfectants. There's some people wearing masks. Um, I think also, more. Brian, we've seen a tremendous growth at our church as well because... One, we are open. And two, they've been looking for hope. They're, mm-hmm. as, as Paul said, 
it's, there's despair out there. Uh, I think we'll get into this later, but the suicide rate is just skyrocketing in America. Paul, you were telling me that drugs and alcohol, and what you're seeing through the ER right now is just off the charts. Yep. And, and so we have the answers to life. It's like the disciples. Are you going to leave me too? No, you have the words of life. Where will we go? So, I, you know, we represent that. We represent the scriptures in Christ in a way. And so we have the words of life. And, and yeah, there's a bit of risk to it. You may have a few people get sick. And we've seen some of that. Um, but the, the goal of sharing Christ and the gospel to a hurting community, to, to the Christian community that, that needs one another. Hayward, answer the question from the college and career perspective. I mean, that's, that's been fascinating to watch what happened there. Yeah, God has really been gracious to our Crossroads Young Adult Ministry. Um, it's been amazing to see uh, how there's a want and a need to be together. Um, there's a community among the young adults in this church. A lot of them, if you look around this room, many of this room is the young adult ministry here at Riverbend. Um, and it's not a testimony to myself or to Paul here. It's, it's Christ. Um, it is Christ what brought each one of us here. And, and it makes me ask the question sometimes that you just want to ask the church, since when was the gospel not enough? Um, since when did God diminish in power and in sovereignty and what he said was not enough? Um, has the COVID virus become God's match? Because that's what the church is starting to show in its colors, um, that God has finally met its match. So when it says the gates of hell should not prevail against me, well, apparently COVID has. And the church needs to be very careful to what we talked about today, almost like showing the COVID virus as a God. Mm. When COVID is not a God, God allows all things to happen. And so when we talk about our young adults that are sitting here, I, I as a ministry leader, and so encouraged each and every week, um, even during this virus, when we meet on Tuesday nights here, when the church hadn't even opened yet, and we were here, we were averaging 30, 40 young adults that wanted to be together on a Tuesday evening in the midst of all this chaos. Why? Because Christ is worth it. Even outside with mosquitoes. Even outside in the rain in in, the with heat, mosquitoes, in mosquitoes. They were here because it's worth it. Yeah. So we, we feel compelled or constrained, as Paul would say, right, mm-hmm. to continue to preach the gospel. Personal evangelism, we still have to do that, right? We still have to reach the lost. We still have to make disciples. We still have to practice hospitality. I've seen that. Uh, it's been amazing to see pe- new people come and people still practicing hospitality, bringing them over, sharing the gospel, people coming to Christ. It would be so sad if we missed all of those opportunities. Yeah. Hayward, you mentioned uh, a while back when I was talking to you about a, a missions trip to South Africa. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so thinking about the, all this COVID, many of you, uh, I've been here for a long time, and years ago I went to South Africa. Some of you in this room may have gone with me who went on a, a trip over there, and a family from our church was living over there. And at that time, the AIDS pandemic was very rampant, which it still is over there, but it was very high over there. And when I was speaking with you, I said, I never at one time thought, oh, I shouldn't go because of AIDS. And this is the AIDS virus we're talking about, right? Um, it, is the, it was the talk of what was happening in the world. And here we are as a small community of believers just going across the globe to a, a, a village that we've never met anyone, uh, with people who have never met us, and going to share the gospel 
with the AIDS virus around. And we never once thought that, oh, well, hopefully God will protect us. And we didn't even know all the ways, the, the primary ways it was transmitted, really. Right, it was, it was right. We're way, we're way advanced now than we were back then, right? Great. Uh, well, Brian, just, uh, think, just listening to Hayward, the verse that just came to my mind was Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. And Paul says this, and think about this as a church. He says this, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of the elect who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. I'll suffer all things. I called one of our family members who has a case, and uh, I left them a message because I couldn't catch them, but I left a message on the machine, and I said, thank you for being willing to put your health online for serving the Lord. And I did. I meant that as a pastor. I wanted them to know how, how grateful I was that they would come and work with our youth, even though there's an opportunity, you know, to get sick. And, and I, that's what they did. They said, look, I'll endure all things for the sake of the gospel. Um, and I, I think that's how we look at it as pastors. We say, okay, obey God, obey man. I mean, we wrestle with those things. And then we say, do we miss the opportunity to give hope to people? Not just hope like, well, I hope I don't get sick. Eternal hope. That resting hope that no matter what happens to me, I, I will be with Christ. I will be in heaven someday because I understand he saved me. So the gospel message is what drives us. I think we have to say that as elders. It is the gospel, the word of God, that drives us in our decision-making, first and foremost. He's our Lord. We, we follow his lead. He, he was the one that said, follow my example as I suffer. So while there's wisdom, there, there should be for the Christian a lean Yes. Towards gospel ministry. Yes. Not a lean away right. with fear. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And there will be, there's some who would, who would argue back, I think. Um, but then you put people at risk. And I think the answer to that is, biblically, if you, if you are sick, stay home and get well. Don't, don't, don't go out and infect people if you're sick. But we're in an atmosphere now that if you could ever possibly get sick, don't be around anybody else who could possibly get you sick or you get them sick. And it's, uh, it's, it's going past wise caution to inhibiting relationship, community, and most of, most of all the gospel. So are you saying the new normal isn't new normal for the church? It shouldn't be, in my opinion, yeah. I mean, so when as Christians, yeah. should we be even using that term when it comes to the church? I mean... Our mandates haven't changed from the scriptures. And when in church history have we ever not been at risk coming to church for some type of death, whether it be through persecution, illness? I mean, safety coming to church is really a newer thing. I mean, you go from the first church, and then you go to, like, the Lollards, and you go to even Reformation and Protestant and all of that down the line. We've always been at risk. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, um, let me... Let me ask you a question. So let's say that you hear somebody say they have an outbreak of coronavirus at Riverbend, mm -hmm. or they, they have active cases yeah. of COVID-19 at Riverbend. Sure. How do you respond to that statement? I'd ask them what that means. I'd define outbreak and define what coronavirus means because just because, I mean, having a positive test is different than being sick. 
you can have a positive test and you're not ill, and you're okay, and you're at home, and, you, and you're, you're, you're trying not to spread the virus. Um, and then I would say, what is an outbreak? I mean, a handful of cases is not an outbreak in the midst of um, you know, how many people we have here on Sunday. I mean, the New York Times, I think, tried to describe an outbreak in churches as 650 cases um, in the United States of our like three million, like that's, <laughs> that's nothing, you know? So it all depends on how you define outbreak. Well, how many people do we have that we know have tested positive at Riverbend? That have let us know only, I think five. Five? Five, five, five cases six. and then a, a couple other people said, I might have symptoms and we said, well, it's smart to stay home if you have, because symptoms can be varying degrees. Right. And, by, and oh, by the way, you know, rhinovirus, and other types of coronavirus that aren't COVID and flu, like other types of flu have not gone away. Like they're here. Now seasonal flu doesn't hit as much as in the summer. We know that, but they're not gone. So you can have other sicknesses besides coronavirus. And just because you have some sniffles doesn't mean you have it. Yeah. And, but just to think, we, we have people maybe watching and, and those statements are actually out there. And, and really, if you want to know the facts, we had one leader on a Wednesday night with seventh to eighth grade kids. Yeah. And out of that group, we had, I think, four of the kids and one leader who got it, and the symptoms were pretty mild. Correct. Well, so, only one other leader, what, one other leader tested positive, and then I, think, I don't know that we know, even know the results of the kids. They just didn't feel well, and so we said, okay, we'll stay home. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then separately, not related, um, another person who probably got it way outside the church, lives with their family, or at least interacts with them very closely, mm -hmm. and they got it from there. So mm -hmm. they just happened to come. And again, they stayed home. So as far as we know, these people aren't, there's not a bunch of infected coronavirus positive people just sitting out there in the... As far as we know, no. I think what's interesting was this last uh, winter, and Jason can speak to this, we had the flu hit our school. And it was, I don't know, it was Donna's class? Yeah. It was Donna's class, wiped out the entire class. These kids were throwing up their lungs. I mean, <laughs> it, it was terrible. I mean, they were very, very sick. Well, school went on and church went on. And, these, and, and I've talked to, I think, almost everybody, or at least left a message with everybody, or got information back to them. And they all said, yeah, had a little fever, a little bit of sinus, went away, feel fine, just waiting to get out of lockdown. <laughs> You know, uh, so it, ha it has it. There's, there's change. This virus seems to be changing, Paul. Can yeah, you speak some, to that a little bit? Yeah, there's some thought. Um, and again, this is an ever-changing virus. There, and and so there's some thought that they have gotten some viruses where some of the DNA, uh, some parts of it, has changed some. And the thought is, for a virus to be able to perpetuate itself, it needs a host. Well, if it kills all the hosts, then it can't perpetuate itself because everyone's dead. And so instead, a lot of times these viruses tend to lighten up and they lighten up to the degree to where they can spread and not kill everyone. So it's, you know, people aren't, as, aren't dying as much and the virus gets to be happy and spread. So that, that some people, and, and again, for every, for every time you say one thing, there is a voice saying the other. We are still in the midst. This is a seven-month-old, eight-month-old virus that we know about as opposed to you know, centuries or decades of other ones. So we don't know tons, but there is, um, you know, there is definite 
research into that that seems to indicate things, and especially our death rate now in Florida was 0.4% for the month of June, whereas before it was like four, or like I think six and eight percent for the previous months. So I mean, we've gone down by a factor of 10, which is huge. Yeah, 0 0.4, right? 0.4. Yeah. yeah, yeah, zero point four. That's just like uh, we have in, 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 in that's been reflected in the county too. So death rates going down. What Correct. about hospitalization rate? So the hospitalization rate, um, more there's people there's more people in the hospital because I think more people have the virus, but more people are leaving the hospital alive, <laughs> which is really the important thing too. Mm -hmm. So we're better at treatments. We're better at knowing how to do things. Yes, our hospital has more people in now than they did in April. You know, there's no getting around that. And I wouldn't lie about that, but at the same token, people are going home and they're, and they're, feeling, they're feeling well. Um, uh, so it, it is something's different. And everyone keeps saying, well, wait two weeks, wait two weeks, wait two weeks. Well, two weeks was a month ago. And, and you know, we still, we still have the numbers we see. I'm not trying to predict the future, but this is the numbers we see. Well, let's kind of wrap up uh, the coronavirus discussion with uh, some advice that you might have for um, our people in regard to what, what should they do? What should their decision-making look like in coming to church or being involved in vacation Bible school or, or things like that? I mean, I think the biggest thing is um, if you feel sick, if you have a fever, number one, you got to stay home, okay? Uh, I mean, if you have a fever, and it doesn't mean you have coronavirus, it just means you need to stay home. If you have something you're like, well, this could be allergies. Maybe you have some sniffles. Maybe you have, I don't know, a little bit of a cough. You know, I, I had a stuffy nose. I'm wearing a mask because I had a little bit of a stuffy nose. No fever. I had no fever or anything like that. So I wear a mask. You know, um, just, just being cautious. We have to, again, um, where we can, socially distance. And then be realistic about things, too. I mean, you know, for, for Florida, I think in the age range of 0 to 14 years old, We've had one death. One death. One death so far. And zero to 14 years old out of approximately 10,000 cases. And so, I mean, VBS especially, it's a very low risk situation for your child to have it. And um, most of them they think are carriers because they don't get symptoms and they're little petri dishes that go around touching everything and breathing <laughs> on people and don't cover the mouth when they cough. I have two of them. <laughs> So if you are uh, vulnerable, more vulnerable, you should exercise more caution. Correct. Right? And I think it's good for everybody to just remember this is still real. It's still a thing. Socially distance. Mm -hmm. Do the things we're doing where you can. Hand hygiene. Wear a mask if you see any sniffles. If you have a fever, stay home. And call your doctor. You know, always follow the advice of your doctor. But at the same time, we want to be zealous for good deeds, right? Right and uh, zealous for Christ and reach these little ones that Jesus loves in Vacation Bible School and disciple these youth at summer camp. And, and we even have some government uh, encouragement to go on with youth activities mm -hmm. and uh, that sort of thing. You know, Just thinking one last thing, Jason, what are you gonna do about school this next year? Um, <clears throat> our plan is to open with on-campus learning in August. Um, you know, with one thing coming through all of this, so we already had policies of like fever, don't come, stay home, um, frequent hand washing of the children and sanitizer. 
course, this heightened all of that and frequent cleanings. We'll do those things. We're, we're working on getting UV light cleaners for the classrooms. Um, and we're meet, we still have a meeting ahead of looking at other details of what it'll look like, but we, we're planning to open and be on campus. Back to, back to loving, I think the academy's here to educate children in a Christ-centered biblical context. Um, and education is impeded by isolation. Um, homeschooling, we, we champion homeschooling here too. But, what, but distance, distance school learning isn't homeschooling. It's, it's trying to do school learning without the school. Um, it's just better here to do that type of education. And, and that's loving. That's loving to provide excellent education to, to the children who are a low-risk group. We'll, we'll work on exact precautions and so forth, but we do plan to meet. And, and the government is giving every indication of not impeding that in any way. Uh, this week, Governor DeSantis, Education Commissioner Kokor, and President Trump have all indicated we want schools open. So, uh, on Just one thought along that. We have, and this is a plea to our church, we, we've had some of our volunteer help for one reason or another back away. So we... We're scrambling a bit, um, but yet the, uh, all of our leaders are sure to say they've got this, they, they can get it, but they can use some help. And, you know, I would encourage you to pray about that. And, and look, we would tell you this, that we can't promise you that you're not going to get sick if you go to church or help out with VBS. But is he worth it? Uh, I, uh, Nilo, Pastor Nilo, you all know Nilo in the Philippines. Every time I get off the plane and I got to fly in a lot of tricky ways to get in there because... It's a Muslim world there. And, and, uh, but I get off the plane. When I see him, I say, I've come to die. And he, he laughs. Uh, and, but at, this, at the same truth, I, you know, when I, I, for me and Gina, for us, when we engage in ministry, we're here to give our lives. That's what the Lord tells us to do. So as simple as maybe feeding children a snack or helping with crafts or doing that, it, there's a willingness to say, Lord, whatever you want, I want to give it, I want to serve you. So I encourage you to pray about that. Would you be willing to serve the Lord in this way, in an environment out there in the world saying one thing, right? Um, but you have a Bible that says something very different. So I, I would encourage you to look into that. And, yeah, and, and BBS isn't just about crafts and snacks and a few songs, right? You know, yeah. It's the gospel. The gospel yeah. for little Oh, yes. An excellent gospel presentation. Just a side note, when Nilo comes here, he goes, I've come to get fat. <laughs> <laughs> we go there with the threat of dying where they live every day of their life. That, that'll tell you the difference. And it's pretty sad that Americans react the way we do, it's particularly the church. One other stat before you leave this. I was told today from a very good resource that... The stats that they're tracking, they think 40% of the church will, the American church will not return to church from this. 40% of American church is not going to come back to church. I don't think they're the real church. I think that's a pseudo false man-centered, but 40% is not going to return. That's the stats that are coming out. Can I add, can I add something to that? So, you and I were talking about this too in church. Let me say this as an encouragement. There are places where the government is telling churches that they can't even sing. Yeah. Uh, they can't even open their mouths. And so people are having to gather and literally just preach. And they, I think somebody was saying maybe in our staff meeting that there are 
literally sheriffs walking into a church building and making sure that there's no singing, that you are spread out from each other, and that you only have so many people in a building at a certain time. So when you start to think ever that this is hard, think about that. God has been gracious to us in so many ways. And if you've been here on a Sunday morning, especially recently, and you've heard the singing of the saints together, God has really blessed us in a lot of ways where it's encouraging. It's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to the staff to say that, God, you, again, are worth our praise. Regardless, we don't have soldiers coming in with guns on us, right? We don't have people crucifying us at the stake. No, we can freely come here still and worship together and hear the preaching of God's word every single week. And we still sometimes are sitting back saying, well, I don't know if it's worth the risk. Well, I think it's worth the risk. And it's worth the fellowship if you've been here. So I just want to encourage you in that. And that's something that you were talking to us too about is like how we're not as, as, as the American church sending out as many missionaries. And that partially that's because of the whole mentality of, we don't, of this whole risk stratification situation. And we don't want to go to places where we might get sick or our family might get sick or they might kill us. And I mean, thank the Lord that's not what they thought about in the missionary boom and all these other times when it, surely I'm like, I'm going to go talk to people, you know, some cannibals about Jesus. You know, like, you think it'll be risky? It might. You think if 40% of the church won't return, are we ever going to send missionaries out again? And I think it's churches that hold to the sufficiency of scriptures unashamedly preach all the text. Preach it. All of it. Not dodging things, but preach the text. It's our responsibility to stay open, to keep preaching, to keep loving people and pointing them towards Christ. Keep teaching worship. I told Hayward, I said, if the church doesn't come back, we're not letting them sing songs like, you stand with us in the fire, you know. <laughs> How can, we can't say this almighty God and then right. yet we, we're full of fear. Right. And, and that's what, see, fear controls you. Once, once you know where their fear is, they, it, you're controlled. And we've been set free. And how many songs do we sing, Hayward, that tell us we're set free? And, and, and then, Brian, we've talked about this in length, about the sovereignty of God. Just a one passage, take just Psalms 139. Go read Psalms 139 and ask if you should go to church or not. Mm. He knows when you get up. He knows when you lie down. He knows your thoughts before you think them. Not one day can be added to you. I cannot die of coronavirus outside of God's will. I can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, you know, I just, it's impossible. So we're, we teach the sovereignty of God here. Riverbend has taught it for years. They've been the stalwart. They, Roy plowed the ground for, for some very hard soil. We can't let the doctrines of grace not flow into our ministry and our service to the Lord. And, and uh, so I, I think that's why we have a full room on a Wednesday night. And who knows how many people are online uh, or watching us right now because that message has been taught. And our people are returning and loving the Lord, and they're, they're interested in what we're doing and what we're saying. And yes, there, there's, we're humans. We can be afraid of things, mm-hmm. but it can't let us dominate us. And I think a theme of tonight is going to be, do we care what God says is right, yeah. or do we care what the world is saying is right? And that's going to be a theme, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's justice issues. I think the thing that we have to remember is, what does God say we should do in the midst of this and yeah. not what the world tells us? Because yes. we know where the world's coming from. And are, are you willing to obey God? Are you willing to be faithful now to him and, and go by what he says and be worried about when you stand in eternity, not these 80, 90, 100 years, 120 years, whatever, 
you have here, but for eternity when you stand before him, do you care what he says about you? Like, were you faithful during this test? Because death is transition. It's not the end. And we're going to see a God. We're going to see the God. Yeah, amen. Amen. And do, uh, do we care? Are we defining safety by what the world says? Or are we defining it by what God says? Yeah. Let's make a little transition. I think that was a very important topic. Uh, There's lots of others, and some we won't get to tonight. But (laughs) uh, when you think about the Supreme Court decisions, you think about even the impeachment trial, and you think about uh, Black Lives Matter uh, and others, the core connection between these topics is justice. And so I think it's best for us to, first of all, just kind of define what is biblical justice? What is it from God's perspective? Scott, you want to launch us? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, you never will find, and I'm going to preach on a bit of this on Sunday morning, and I've been working on this, but you'll never find justice among fallen humanity. It's impossible. You'll never find true justice among fallen humanity. We'll work really hard on it. We have a million laws, and I mean, we'll, we'll do our best, but we're never going to find that. So you have to define justice through a holy God. And when we say he's holy, that means he's absent of evil. So he can't be bribed. Um, he can't be persuaded. Uh, he, he can't be um, wrong. <laughs> so, so justice has to be defined by the character of God. And I think, Brian, what's happened is we, we quit teaching the character of God. So we look to a world that tries to define justice when we have a God who defines it personally. And so that's our job as a church is, is that and he's, he's absent of evil. He's always going to do the right thing. I'm giving you a definition now. He, he, he will never be take, he'll never take a bribe. He'll never, he'll never do what's wrong, ever. That's where justice is. And if you're seeking justice as a person, as an ethnicity, a whatever, if you're seeking justice, you will not find it anywhere but with him. And so that has to be the starting point of this discussion, as we've all talked about before. So what is, well, in the Bible, is there ever an adjective to justice? Like, like social justice? No. <laughs> Never is there an adjective, no. right? No. Um, so what is social justice, Paul? Uh, social justice is kind of a part of like the critical theory world and really it's it's more of a horizontal approach to justice and as uh, so it's based upon humans all wanting to be equal equal in outcome not opportunity so we all share everything evenly whether that be power status money any earthly thing Um, so it really gets into this kind of critical race theory or not just race theory but critical theory um, where any line that you have, whether it be race, gender, gender identity, um, you know, whether it be sexual preference, anything like that. So it's a way that they try to make everything absolutely equal in outcome, no matter what. In a society. In a society, right. okay. correct. Okay. Um, a lot of these issues are connected to social justice. Uh, one that we talked about is uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, Hayward, what do you think of when you think of that sentence, Black Lives Matter? Here we go. So let me, 
Let me say this to the church, to everyone watching. A few weeks ago, some of you may know, I sat down with all the elders um, in their meeting for about an hour, and we talked, just me and them, about this, what this is, Black Lives Matter. And, and I'm going to be really candid and transparent, and I'll be honest, it may offend some people, um, but um, I'm going to try to do everything under the umbrella of God's mercy and God's grace. So please bear with what I'm about to say. Because it may not be popular, but I will say this. The statement Black Lives Matters is not the same as the organization Black Lives Matter. Please, please, I'm speaking from the youngest person here to the oldest, understand that, okay? If you were to sit and talk to me any amount of time, I will tell you I am a proud black man. I have no qualms about it. I love my heritage. I love everything about what my family has been through. I love what my mom and dad marched for before I was born, um, what they still fight for today. But there are many things about the statement that do not equate with the organization Black Lives Matters. And so this is where we need to be really careful, especially in the church. It has become really easy to jump on bandwagons because there's a hashtag, we just jump on it really quick because it's the popular thing to do. Well, I am, I'm sitting here as a 43-year-old man, black man, to say, that I do not support the organization Black Lives Matter because of things that they post that are totally anti what Scripture says. Now, the statement Black Lives Matter, I am behind 100%. Why? Because God is behind that 100%. Why? Because we are all made in the image of God. And so when I say that Black Lives Matters, and when somebody says to me, whoa, all lives matters, yeah, I understand that, but do you? Because I'm going to be really honest, me, Hayward Evans, I've experienced, and I think you're going to ask me this in a second, but I've experienced even moments of racism in this church. And that may not be the easiest thing for some to hear. Um, I've been here since 1998, and I have had things said to me. I've had jokes said to me. I've had statements said to me. Um, that if I were to play it back to some people and they understood what they said, they'd probably be ashamed. But here's something I want to share, and I hope that, and I said this to the elders, so this isn't catching my off guard, but one other thing that Black Lives Matters means is that as a black man, I'm not looking for pity. That is not what that means. That's what it should not mean. Um, what it means is when I walk into a building, even now, like if I walk into Publix, I don't want someone to look at me and say, oh, Black Lives Matters, can I do this for you? Can I do this for you? Let me hold the door for you. No, that's not what that means. What it means is we walk side by side. We do the same things together. We go to the same schools together. We do the same activities together, and it doesn't matter because God has made us all in his image. It is called the Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God, and because of our sin, we have skewed that, right? And so everything having to do with Black Lives Matters is a heart issue. And you can cut me off whenever you want. One of the, uh, one of the things that was really um, important for me to, to kind of portray to the elders was um, as far as our church. And if you notice, our church didn't really go out and just post something, right? Because one of the things I wanted to say is, and I, and I mentioned this to the elders, is churches can post things all they want. They can put little blurbs out there all they want, but until the hearts that are sitting within the church change, it doesn't matter because everything about racism is a heart issue, right? It's a sin issue. 
And so until the people sitting in the seats of the church change, well, then it doesn't matter what the church says because it's just painting the outside of the church so that the world thinks that the church looks better. And so Black Lives Matters is an important thought process because it does make you understand that every race, and I'm talking about the Indians, I'm talking about uh, Hispanics, I'm talking about every race, white, black, it doesn't matter. It matters in the image of God, and so it should matter to us. That's right. And so this is why that Black Lives Matters, that's what it means to me, and there's a lot more I could say, but I know we have time, so I know you're going to ask more questions, but... Uh, maybe, uh, and we'll come back to you too, Hayward, but like Jason, you know, in studying history, is there a history in America of terrible injustices toward black people? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we all, we all know the, hor the horrors of the African slave trade, for instance, where, I mean, slavery has been around through human history. Um, but that particular slavery was so race-based, uh, skin color, I don't even like the term race, we're all Adam's race. Uh, Act 17, for instance, makes that clear. We're, we're all created, we're all from Adam. Um, but different ethnicities, different skin colors, and it was so based on that. And then the type of slavery was so different than much of historical slavery, particularly uh, demeaning of humanity, of the humanity of the, of the African uh, descended slaves, and particularly in America. It wasn't totally isolated to America, but... Um, and then even after emancipation, uh, you know, there were all kinds of laws, not only in the South. Uh, my mom, not too long ago, told me a story. She grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, and she was grown up, married, living in California, had Reader's Digest, and she reads a story of how the longtime mayor of Dearborn worked with the realtors and the, you know, just the different things to make sure no black person lived in Dearborn. And she didn't even know that growing up, you know. There, there's all kinds of ways uh, throughout history. And, and the Civil Rights Movement, I, I did my bachelor's thesis at Stetson on the church's participation or lack thereof mm -hmm. in the Civil Rights Movement of the 60s. And it was mostly lack thereof. There were, there were, there were some participating well, and I, you know, my, my focus mainly on evangelicals, and then there were some actually defending uh, segregation and so forth, and then there was a very silent majority that shouldn't have been silent on that, in my opinion. Not necessarily focused on the politics of it. Uh, what came out to, what was heartbreaking to me in that study was how few churches just lived it out as churches. Um, love just what you were describing, and, and and too few did. Some did, praise God, but too few. And isn't it true that a lot of times white people in America have lived in a bubble yeah. where they're not really yeah. aware of what others go through? Yeah, like like my, I described with my mom. Your mom. She had no clue. Right. Yeah. Right. She raised. She she really raised me. See, everyone is in the image of God. Everyone equally in the image of God. But there she was in a town that, and she had no clue of what was going on. Yeah. And 1968 wasn't that long ago. Like, we still have people living today who were told at one point in their life that they couldn't drink out of the same water fountain as others because of their skin color. And then now, some people today just want them to get over it. And through the power and gospel, you can forgive and whatnot. But, I mean, that, that's a big thing. 
And they're still around today and they still need to be ministered to. And to pretend like it didn't happen or like, oh, that was so long ago. It's like, well, no, there are still people who lived that and, and, and had to fight to drink out of the same water fountain as, as a white person. And, and we didn't have to do that. So, I mean, it, it is real. It's real and it's very real to people's personal history. Well, we see uh, like the killing, the brutal killing of uh, George Floyd yeah. and others, you know, this was highlighted during just before the previous election, and now it's you know really highlighted now. Um, what what are some of the fears, perhaps, uh, that are kind of ingrained in young black men, Hayward? Yeah. So um, I'll say this: um, I believe that there are good and bad people in every profession. Um, and I believe that does also go for police officers. And it does not mean that I lump everyone in one big pot. Um, don't even get me started with this whole defunding police thing. I, we'll see the result of that pretty soon. But um, it is, it's real. I'll go as far as to say it's real here in Ormond Beach. And I can say that because it's happened to me um, a few years ago. And I explained this to you all just a few years ago, not that long ago. Um, right here in Granada. I got pulled over one evening and uh, I was coming back from an, an event. I don't know what if it was. I think it was like a crossroads something. It was, I remember it was cold outside because I was coming from a bonfire so it was late and I'm, this is when I lived um, further down in Wilmette and a police officer pulled me over. I was actually at a light so I wasn't even driving and he's in the trails looking at me this way so across. So I go to turn. As soon as I go to turn he pulls me over. So I pulled into the trails and he I'll make a long story short but he pulled me over and said I was speeding and I was like there's no way I was speeding I was at a stoplight so there's no way I can speed from here to here like there's no way so he makes me get out of my car asks me if there's any is there any reason I said search your car and I said no absolutely not do you have any weapons in your car and I said absolutely and I said I have a concealed weapons permit I showed him my permit I said there's a gun right here in the glove compartment he sh you know he said step out of the car he showed it to me so then he basically said I need you to go back to my car put your hands on my car, and I said, for what reason? And then he says, are you sure I don't have to search your car? I'm gonna ask you one more time. And I looked at him and I said, and I'm gonna tell you one more time, you do not have to search my car. And so he said, well, I'm gonna ask you to step back. So he made me go to his car, then he called back up, another guy shows up. At this point, it's like 12 o'clock, and, so, and it's cold outside. I asked, can I get my jacket out of my car? He says, no, go back to the car. Kind of snaps at me, I was like, okay, yes, sir. So then the other police officer comes, gets my jacket out, he goes, hey man, I'll get it for you, he gets my jacket. So I'm standing there comes back to me and he says, so sir, your license is suspended. And I said, um, sir, you're wrong. My license is not suspended. So as this is going on, I'm starting to realize, okay. And I want to just say, are you going to book me or not? Like what's happening here? Because I could kind of see what's happening. The guy was getting really short with me and he says, do you have any, like, any issues that you are denying this? And I said, no, sir, but I'm just going to let you know I'm a worship leader down the road and that doesn't mean much to you and it probably shouldn't, but I just got to go to church in the morning and I'm really tired and so I need to drive home. So either you can take me to jail right now or I really need to go home. So he said, well, this is what's going to happen. If you drive your car away from here, I'm going to pull you over and I'm going to take you to jail. So then I said, okay, sir, well, then I'm going to show you where I live. I live off of Wilmette. You can follow me to my house, and then you can arrest me in my parking lot so I can leave my car at my house because I'm not going to call somebody to pick me up at 12 midnight because you're putting me in here. So the other police officer talked to him, and, he said, and I can hear him talking to him saying, man, you need to back off. You need to chill out. So then he, the other guy comes back and he says, hey, man, I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. You can go. 
whatever. So I got in my car and drove home. So I share all that to say, could that have happened to a young white person? Absolutely. Does it? I'm sure it does. Do I think it had racial connotations? Absolutely. I don't know that man's heart. I don't, never saw the police officer again. Um, but I do know that the killings that, are, that have happened and that have happened, um, they're real. I believe that they're murder. Um, and I believe as a, as, a, as a black man, now there are men, there's some in here that are younger than me, um, young black guys in here younger than me. It is, a, it is a mental thing now, even for me, when I go somewhere and I'm walking into a store and I see a police officer standing there. And I'm just being really honest, and many of you know me and have known me for years, it's a real thing even for me. Especially being married to a five foot four, blonde-haired, <laughs> little petite, little white girl, when they see me walking in with her, almost like they're looking at us saying, are you okay with him? So it's real. Um, and so one of, the, one of the first things that I think about and that's so important is that conversations like this need to start here in the church. Because again, we go back to the beginning. Where else is hope going to come from if it doesn't come from here? Right? And so real conversations and real stories like the one I just shared with you have to be told. You know why? Because we'll just sit here in our comfortable chairs and think that it's okay because we have a black worship leader. And I hope that our church would never think that. And again, that's something else I share with the elders. And so I, I'm, I'm not just catching people off guard, but I hope that at Riverbend Community Church, we would never think that, that we're okay because we have a black worship leader. That's not what that means. It's an individual heart issue. And so um, to answer your question, does it affect me? Yeah. Does it affect my wife who is white? Yes, it does. Will it affect my young son who will be born in September? Probably. Probably. And Lord willing, I'll, I'll just continue to teach the gospel to him so that he would know that the gospel is more important than this, <laughs> than what the world is throwing at us right now. So, Thanks, Hayward. Paul, you know, you have two black children yeah. you've adopted, right? I do. Any thoughts on this for them? You know, one of the biggest proponents uh, kind of for... One of the biggest proponents that more conservative Christians have used who speaks out against um, some of this critical race theory, some of the social justice issue, is Vody Bauckham. Uh, Vody Bauckham is a black man, uh, graduated from Westminster. He's now uh, uh, one of the deans of theology over at uh, African uh, Theological Seminaries in, in Zambia. And even he recently told a story about how, even though he will preach against ethnic Gnosticism, he will preach against cultural Marxism, he will talk about how you know, black men in America are the most prosperous free people that he's ever seen and he's traveled the globe, he will still say that he has to talk to his teenage sons, have the talk when it comes to police, how you are to present yourself, how you are to uh, talk to them, he said, because you know what? He goes, maybe one, two, three percent of police officers are racist, but I don't know which ones are, and I don't want my son to die. And I thought that was powerful because here's a man who champions, who we use to champion, and he himself champions against it, and yet he still recognizes that he has to have a specific training for his boys because they are black males in America, and that there is still um, unfortunately, as there is in, in society, there's racism in just in general, not just because they're police officers, just because there's racism in general with individuals 
in America, and thus maybe summon the police off. So there might be a handful that are spoiling for a bunch, but if you don't know who they are, how do you defend it? By because there's a lot of power there. Correct. Uh, they have the power to take your life. Right? Yeah. So I see it, and I look at my son, and you know every time he speaks out in anger or anything like that, I want to just, it's like I, I want to reach him and say, you, don't, you, you have to be careful. He's three. And, and he, you know, and not just because of godliness, but because I also know what it could mean. Mm-hmm. And, and I recognize that. So it does hit me every day. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just like he says, when he goes to, the, to a store or whatnot with, you know, with uh, uh, his wife, um, when I go with the kids, I get du- we get double looks. <laughs> Everybody knows who we are. <laughs> and sometimes it's disarming. And sometimes people... I wonder if they're going to call DCF that I kidnapped some people. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's very important to hear these kind of conversations. I think to have a vulnerability to be able to share mm-hmm. and to really take seriously, I think, uh, the impact that these issues have. Scott? I, I'm chomping at the bit here because I love <laughs> you two guys so much. Um, uh, I just want to share one quick story and then ask you guys a question that I want the church to hear your answer. Um, when Gina and I first got here, we went to a baseball game at the Tortugas with Jeff and Karen um, Dillard. And, you know, Gina and I grew up in a baseball world, sports world. I played. Gina grew up in a baseball family. So the baseball, you know, sports world is so integrated. I mean, they're just, you, all you want to do is win. You don't care who's what. You just want to win. And, and it brings you together. And in California, you know, particularly where we were from, didn't, you know, some of those race issues aren't nearly as heightened out there. So we're sitting in this baseball game. This um, young, young black gal was serving all the people down the box seats. And um, we'll never forget this because we're, we're brand new here. We hadn't been here long. We're kind of first time living in the South, in a sense. We're kind of in the South. And um, this young black gal went out crying, and Karen went after her because Karen knew her. And... and um, and she, she basically quit because this older white couple said, you will not touch our food, you will not serve us. Um, and, you know, it was, it was just kind of a wake-up call to go, all right, we've heard of this stuff, um, but now we're seeing it. It's still alive. It is there. And then um, early on, there were a few situations that happened with some family that, uh, that were here, um, the, and and that situation got handled, and some people moved on. But it, it was here. There was some comments made, and I and I think what the guys are trying to help us think through is: you may not do it, but you need to be sensitive to those things. Could you imagine Paul and Kristen walking through Target with their babies? I mean, you know, they're they're going to get it from both sides, right? Yes. Yeah, you're going to get it from the African American community. You're probably going to. In, in some way. So I think it's so important to hear this. Now let me ask a couple questions. Hayward, do you believe this church loves you? Yes, I do. I do. Yep. Hayward, do you love this church body? More than I think you all know. Yeah. <laughs> I do very much, yes. And what is the common denominator to that? It's Christ. Yeah. It is, it is Christ. Yeah. yeah. Paul, do you believe this church loves your family? Absolutely. Yeah. And do you love this church? Absolutely, more yeah. than you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I wanted to make that really clear, as I yeah. know it was a 
softball pitch, but um, I wanted them to hear that because though you, there, those are some tough things that happen there, right? you know, things have to be said, that we do love each other. Let me share one verse, and I think one of the things we don't think about is when we get into, quote, racism or ethnic diversities and the problems that go on, we don't think always how it affects. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we have a lot of Middle Eastern people in our church. It won't take you long to go to lunch with one of these their brothers and their family and, and let them tell you what they go through here. Um, and so it, it's widespread. A man is just sinful. Yeah. And the only hope to it, and, and I think if the church doesn't speak about this, one of the first things that goes into big trouble is missions. Jesus, when he's ascending in Acts chapter 1, he's, I mean, he's, he's ascending back to heaven he tells the disciples this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay. Now they're receiving the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says next. And you will be my witnesses both to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The only thing that drives uh, the main thing that drives missions is the gospel-empowered spirit's work. And the only thing that breaks racism um, or any of that sinful habit of man, which has been around since the beginning from the fall, the only hope is the spirit of God. That's the only hope that breaks it. And that's what the church has. We have the spirit of God. He lives in us, each, each of us. He dwells among the children of God. And so... We look at Hayward or Paul's children or our Middle Eastern friends or anyone else that's from a different country here or, or speaks a different language. The Spirit of God unites us together right. in such a way that the world can't understand it. And they, they can't see that how this deep love we have for each other, no matter what, we, what our backgrounds are. And what's lacking in the world, they, they're, gonna, they're trying their hardest right now. They're trying to figure out how, and you said horizontal justice. <laughs> well, that ain't going to work because <laughs> it's got all these sinful people in it. So, um, but they're going to try their hard. And then what they don't have is the Spirit of God who spotlights the ministry of Jesus Christ. So they'll never get there. This will never be solved. Until the King of Kings puts his feet on this earth again, it will never be solved but not in the church. And that's what I loved about your answers. Mm -hmm. And uh, these men were very candid with you because you need to hear what they still go through, but they're loved when they walk in the door of this church. And in church, one of the greatest ministries you can have, anybody and everybody, no matter what they look like, what size, economics, whatever they walk through this door, they are loved in this church. Right. It's another reason we're doing VBS, yeah. <laughs> coronavirus and all. 97 children are signed up to come to this building right now. That's without even opening the registration when they show up to give them the gospel. Our own Aaron is going to teach the gospel. Hayward's going to be teaching verses to them. There's music and there's crafts. And uh, why would we not do this? Because we have the Spirit of God who unites us. And we're brothers in Christ. And we cannot be divided. And this church can't be divided. Because the Spirit of God unites us together. And, and that's the only way to break, quote, racism and social justice and all the problems that are going on. The church has the answer. The church has the answer. And yet, many, many churches are getting away from the gospel, aren't they? Oh, my goodness. You know, and yeah. that's the bad side yes. of the idea of Black Lives Matter. Maybe some of you can speak to 
uh, maybe the organization. What, what's the danger of uh, that statement? Well, all you got to do is go to their about page. Yeah. You got to go there about. I mean, I can read you some stuff that is just cut and paste from that. It says, we make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. Uh, we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women, to continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure required by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children, notice they didn't say fathers, are comfortable. So there's, there's a lot of terminology that churches are using in our society. They're buying it from the culture. Some of you talked about that earlier, about how we all of a sudden turn to the world a lot of times, the world influences the church. And uh, I, you know, I made a list of some of these things recently, and I thought, you know, I don't really want to talk about those things in the church because it's kind of confusing. Who knows what these things mean? And then, then that week, I start seeing all of these same terms in the in the newspaper, or on the on the web, and in stories, and um, you know, like like critical race theory you mentioned earlier. It sounds like that organization actually champions the total undoing of our whole society, right? You know, yeah. not just reform, but revolution that would get rid of any vestige of anything that we might see as uh, cultural Christianity. Yeah, because not only do they, it's, it's not just critical race theory that they hold to, they hold to critical theory, which includes queer theory, which includes um, more of an egalitarian, second wave feminist view. It's, it's everything. And, and, and the first word is important in that, and that's critical. And what they're trying to do is critique something down until they destroy it. And they're going to keep critiquing, keep bringing up um, things that they want to complain about and, and be critical about until they, this whole, where they deconstruct, this whole deconstructionism where you break everything apart and try and, and, and show that it's evil. They're going to do that to every institution that we have. That's the point. And that's not my opinion, that's what they say. Mm -hmm. Now, Scott, you were talking about how the Holy Spirit and Christ bring us together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does critical race theory, or critical theory bring us together, or? No, it divides. It divides, and, right? And this is the problem, and, and, and we're headed for a collision. And, and brothers and sisters, just like the Bible has told us, if you live a godly life in this world, you will see persecution. Second uh, Timothy 2.13. Is that right? 2.13, somewhere in there. It's coming. I mean, this has got to collide. And Paul's right. When you read their stuff, it's, it's nuke the family. Nuke anything that God laid down. We don't want any part of it. It, it needs to be gone. I think, Jason, maybe you were telling me the heads of that, I mean, there are blatant Marxists, yes. not socialists, Marxists destroy this. And the church is in the way. The church is in the way. You're in the way of abortion. You know, you're in the way of marriage of a man and a woman. You're in the way. You gotta go. <laughs> and so, look, we're, we got crosshairs on us and it's coming. And, 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 and I think this is what gets me a little wound up a little bit, which isn't hard to do, but when you think about this, we're scared about a virus? Right. These people want us gone. Yep. 
we're, we're in the way of them accomplishing, critiquing and tearing down everything. And so, oh my goodness, it, the war is coming. <laughs> and, and yet it's not new, right? The church has gone through the first three centuries of the church, incredible persecution. Then they got a little break with Constantine, rolled right back into uh, Roman Catholic oppression against the, the early church and battles that went on there, eventually into the Dark Age, the Reformation, and so forth. And, and we've seen it, and it's, God has been very gracious to America. But America's church is not God's church. It, it, is, it is a mess in so many ways. We've We've tickled ears so long, and, for so, and, and we've let prosperity gospel, we've let man-centeredness take over the church. And so now we're in trouble. We're, we're in a lot of trouble. And so, but now, don't let me scare you. God, <laughs> we're his people, and he loves his people. And he will take us through the most difficult times. And, and, and even if we have to give our lives for the faith, he is a good God. But it's coming. And, and I mean, these two guys... You know, they're, they're telling you about some of the things they've gone through, but they're also the most astute on, on what Black Lives Matters means. If you want to know, don't come to, I mean, we know because we've looked at it. These two guys who have black children, born and raised uh, an African-American in a, in a great Christian home as well, do you want to know about it? Ask them. They'll tell you what these guys are after. But they'll also tell you, hey, look, here's the answer. Here's the only hope for it. So it's, we're, we're in a world that's... Crazy. Well, in the church, we're going to hear more and more terminology. And as I mentioned, some of these words, some of you may have heard of them, some of you may have not. And I would encourage you to look them up. Um, I'm going to ask these men to maybe make some brief comments about some of these. Maybe take one of these words as I, I say it and maybe have a little something to say about it. But, uh, but I, you need go, – go ahead, Jason. Can I make a comment leading into that? Um, we're going to run out of time. There's so many issues and things fly on social media and you have all this stuff coming from the news. And when, when God tells us to love him, he says with all our heart and soul and mind. And I think one of the things we've got to remember as Christians is think. God wants us to think, not just go with emotions, not just go with the group, not just our party thinks mm. this, so I'm going with that. The talking head I like best on TV, I'm going with that. Think not just my friend group hashtag something and so I just pass it on without thinking like BLM. A Christ, no Christian should support that as an organization. While at the same time, we should, as, Heron, uh, as Hayward so well said earlier, we should, the sentiment of the statement, absolutely. Because black lives are human lives made in the image of God. We, sh we should support that, but we shouldn't dive into. So think, think it through. And, and, and it's hard to find truth in our society today. And so part of thinking is dig. Fi find out the definitions of things. Find out what's behind movements and things. And don't just jump on bandwagons. Mm -hmm. Think and stand for the truth and point to Christ and share the gospel and, and love. Jesus said they'll know us by our love for one another. Yeah. And then sh telling them how we love one another, pointing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, mm -hmm. it's, we've we've got we've to think. Bring, bring every thought captive to Christ. Will you guys grab one of these if you're brave enough? <laughs> but think about... We just said they're the best at it. Won't we? Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. Bring it. Uh, okay, we've talked a little bit about critical theory and critical race theory. Uh, what about systemic racism, hmm. intersectionality, 
identity politics and cultural Marxism. Can you believe we're going to be talking about these as churches? Jason, any of you want to jump uh, so, in on it? No, uh, so I'll start with systematic. Okay, so systematic racism. <clears throat> um, sometimes it's called structural racism. I just kind of refreshing myself earlier today because I wanted to make sure I get all this right. But it's, it's basically a structure of um, a system that's, that's put in place to, as it would be defined as a way to disadvantage African Americans. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this can affect everything from wealth, education, uh, criminal justice system, employment, housing, healthcare, politics, etc. So I just want to share just a, uh, just a couple of stats um, in, in, in thinking about this today. So this is from 2018, just two years ago. The average black worker earned only, earned just 62% of what the average white worker made. The typical black woman earned just 66% of what the typical white man made. And you may say, well, what about a white woman? Well, the black woman made 14% less than an average white woman. Uh, between 2004 and 2018, a black mortgage applicant were, were more likely to be denied loans than aspiring homeowners of every other race, not just white, but every other race or nationalities. And, and then I, I came across a really interesting stat. It says black men ages 18 through 19 were 12.7 times more likely to be imprisoned as their white peers, and black men of all ages 5.8 times more likely to be imprisoned than white men. Now, before you start, your mind starts thinking, you say, well, of course, because this happens and this happens. When I say that stat, I mean if you were to put a black young man next to a white young man and they did the same exact crime, it was that percentage more that the black young man would be, uh, would be in prison for that instead of the white young man. So um, these type of things are there. And, and here's what I want to say, because I think this isn't said enough. I believe that, and, I, and I'm gonna say this again as a black man, I think as the black community, black men, we've got to do better. And I'm looking at the camera because I think there's some that are watching online. I know there's some in this room, we've got to do better. We have young children in the streets that think it's okay to leave families or do this or go do this type of job. We've got to do better. Um, don't make the statistics easy. Um, fight against that, buck against that. Um, there are a lot of smart, intelligent African-American people in society that for some, reason, for some reason it's just not known as much. Well, a lot of that, I'll just be honest, I think we as the black community do it to ourselves. Um, we're comfortable being down when we should not be because, again, I go back to the fact that God made us all in his image. And so, yes, there may be a, a, almost like a pulling back in some ways that maybe we're behind a little bit, but it does not mean that we have to stay there. And so um, I just want to encourage any young, especially young black men that are listening to this or in this room, do not settle for what the world says you're okay in that statistic. Be better than that statistic. Work harder than what they say the statistic you're supposed to be in. And on top of that, do it all for the glory of God. Um, because that, I think, is what's going to break the system and break what they say is systematic racism. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Um, this just popped into my head. I, I haven't read the book yet. I've just skimmed what, what it's about. But Dr. Tom Tacker uh, was doing actually some economic studies, an economics professor. Um, and he was looking at the, Af the, the black community following emancipation. 
And he got so overwhelmed by how they overcame obstacles. What you were just describing, he said there, you look back and, and during from, from like 1870 to 1920 or something like that, they had higher uh, uh, marriage lasting rates, uh, security of home, stability, um, percentage of, of where they're starting to where they got to, just over unbelievable obstacles placed by society against them and they, and they rose over those years in spite of it in, in many ways. Still much, all that was still there in 1920 and, and things since, but just the way you were describing that, that popped in my head. Um, and I was thinking about systemic racism just in the sense of those who, there, there's a push to, to, in, 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 in society to make the issue uh, societal structures, whereas biblically it's personal sin, that, that we are sinners against the holy God who is our creator and our judge. And if, if we transition racism out of our own problem, our own heart against God, which has effects, so I, I'm, don't get me wrong, the, the consequences they're pointing to about systemic racism, I believe in the reality of those, those things, that sinners are in positions of authority and do racist things from that position or um, vote a racist way or you know, those things happen in society. So I'm not denying that. But if we change it to the problem is the system rather than the human heart, That's right. That's right. we're denying scripture, yeah. we're condemning ourselves and one another to hell because we won't we excuse ourselves with that. It's the problem of the system, not me. And so I don't repent. I don't look to Christ. I don't trust him for salvation. And then it's part of the goal of that is to, like you were saying earlier, is to tear down the whole system. The, so the goal of a lot of these groups is completely destroy America. And that's the insidious So they can part. remake it. Yeah. yeah, the insidious part is they won't point to a person and they won't, a lot of times they won't point to a law. There are laws that cause systemic racism. There, there was a law for the HOAs in, um, in uh, Minnesota that said that black people couldn't be in certain neighborhoods, even, even as, as just a couple of, I think they just discovered this. So some of these laws, they, they have to get rid of them. That's systemic. I mean, small system, but still systemic. Uh, but they don't want to name specific laws or people because then you can't change. Because then if you change it, okay, let's change. You know, we're repenting and we're restoring. That's not what they want. They want to keep you just like this virus, this invisible enemy that you can't see. And so you get, you get fear. And that fear causes you to want to destroy. And they want to destroy the system to, through keeping you in fear. I mean, I think we as a church can agree that if we see a racist person or a racist law, we'll speak out and change it. And we should. Okay, we should, if anything, and the Bible is very clear in Leviticus and Exodus that, that we shouldn't show partiality at all. If we see a law that's partial, shows partiality, we should destroy it, but that's the problem. They won't point to them because they don't want it to change, they just want it to, to be destroyed. So you're saying, Jason, that perhaps any structure that man comes up with would be inherently simple. Yes, because we're <laughs> Hayward walked by my office the other day, and remember we were getting, I was showing you in Ecclesiastes. We had just read that. Hayward sat down, and we opened our Bibles, and we read Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says, this is King Solomon most likely writing this. He said, then I looked again at the acts of oppression. 
This is King Solomon. This is thousands of years ago. This acts of oppressions which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed in that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power and they had no one to comfort them. This has been going on forever, hasn't it? I mean, uh, uh, Cain oppressed Abel <laughs> so bad he killed him, right? And, and it just didn't take long for man to start to oppress man. Right. And, and what, what Jason is saying um, about, about this whole subject here is that there's no way to solve it outside of the heart. Right. And that's the problem with the world. They, have no, they don't know how to solve the heart. They don't know what we got to give pills. We got to get rid of everything. We got we got to do all that. The church has the answer because that's what solves a heart. That's why Hayward and I are such good friends, and we love each other. And we there's nothing uh, <laughs> there's nothing between us because Christ holds us together. And but it's been going on forever. And then we get to the New Testament. And how many times does Paul write to slaves who are in slavery? Because the society has perpetuated this forever because it's the, it's the fall of man. But he doesn't tell them to, you know, destroy the world. He tells them to be godly, that their masters and their owners would fear God on the day of his visitation. Because he's dealing with the heart, because that's what we deal with as the church. And that's why Hayward's so loved here, because we know your heart. We know you love Christ. So nothing, shouldn't be anything else that gets in the way of that. And Philippians shows us that uh, the gospel is the way to even overcome slavery and to do away with slavery. Absolutely. Right? I mean, getting to Philemon, I mean, we're, I was reading through Philemon. It's maybe a book I might want to preach through real just quick and short little book. But here's Paul bringing a slave back to Philemon. And how they work on that, and Paul's, remember he says, I'll pay, I'll cover anything. He, there's such a connection between him and, and Onesimus and then Philemon because of the gospel. Yeah. And yet there's not, let's destroy the system. They, they can't do that, right? They're right. under Roman rule, all of those things. But within that, there's a sweet, sweet love and equality. And that's what Galatians means of equality. Galatians 3.28 says that, you know, slave, free, man, woman, so forth, goes through all that. It's talking about our position in Christ. We're all equal in our position in Christ, yet we still have roles in this world, right? right. Husbands and wives, employee and employer, employer, and so forth. And we operate by the gospel in those positions. So just a fascinating said We could go all night talking about this, and, and yet we keep coming back to the gospel, the spirit, the church as the answer for these things. Amen. Well, you've heard a discussion by five imperfect yeah. and fallible men, but we've hopefully pointed you to the perfect, just God and His infallible, inerrant Word. Uh, a little commercial to end with. Um, there's a book called Coronavirus and Christ by Dr. John Piper. Uh, I think it's an excellent read very important for your thinking regarding uh, dealing with the coronavirus and ministry and all the decisions that you need to be making on behalf of Christ. You can get that in a PDF form. Just search for it. Uh, coronavirus in Christ, you can, get it, you can read it for free online. So, let me pray. And, uh, Go ahead. And, um, 
you know, my friends in, you know, just, I'm from California. I have so many dear brothers, you and I both out there. They are longing to do what we are doing. And I, I would feel sick if I had to call them and say, yeah, we can do this, but we're not gonna because we're afraid. They're longing to have VBS. They're longing to sing and gather and not have the sheriff come by and see if their numbers are right. Um, uh, churches this weekend took stands and said, come get us, we're singing. Because now it's got to the point where you're going against what God told us to do. So they're singing in their church, social distancing, but singing when they've been told not to. And so I don't want to be a church that has, God has given us freedom in Florida. We have a governor who is allowing us to meet and wants kids camps and, and kids programs to run and school to re-go and, and say, oh God, well, we're afraid. We don't want to move. I, don't, I don't want to stand before the Lord and say, we didn't do what you told us to do. So um, this, I hope you understand. I hope we're not offending people here. And if you disagree with us, we love you. We want to have a conversation with you. We bring your Bible because we're going to show you from the Bible what it says, why we do what we do. Um, but we love you. And we're not trying to be arrogant in any way. We're trying to be men of the gospel. Amen. That's first and foremost. So, well, Let's pray. All right. Thank you. Father God, I'm so thankful for these men who have uh, shared with us tonight and from your word and from uh, just godly wisdom and theology that is applied to life. And Lord, we don't pretend to know all about all of these topics. We are in the process ourselves of, of gathering information. Of, but Lord, we, we just pray that the world would not affect the church. That the world which we are we know is opposed to the gospel, that is under the control of the prince of the power of the air and uh, those who walk in darkness. We pray that we would not get our marching orders from him or them. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness for the gospel, that one-on-one that -on -one evangelism would not be hindered by six feet distancing in masks. We pray, Father, that uh, discipleship would not come to a halt. We pray, Lord, that the church ministry would go forward triumphantly. You will build your church, and we want to be part of that, Lord. We don't want to be sitting on the sidelines. So, Lord, save people. Bring new people. Enable us to shepherd as, as best we can. And it, yet, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom on, on how to best do it in the current environment. Teach us how to apply social distance or uh, cleaning or, or whatever means that we can do to keep the most vulnerable, especially from contracting this illness. And Lord, we pray that you would protect your people. You can protect your people. You are the God over all. And you work all things after the counsel of your will. You work everything for the good of those who are called and according to your purpose to conform us to the image of Christ. Thank you for those who have come out tonight. We pray your special blessing upon them. And we pray for those that are watching, no matter where they might be, that you, Lord, would bless them, that you would keep them, that you cause your face to shine upon them and give them peace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.